We are excited to bring you our first episode drop in, in quite a while. We hope you guys enjoy this episode with the folks from Upland Brewery. Uh, quick episode note, we had an SD card fail in the middle of the episode, so uh, there might be a record scratch or two in there, and you'll know that that's me clipping together audio. So uh, we still were able to uh, get a lot of great information about the new small batch brewery that Upland opened in Fountain Square and, uh, and their kombucha operation. So uh, hope you guys enjoy the show. Uh, also, one quick note uh, while we're doing an aside, we are going to go through the Advent calendar available at Costco. It's a 24 beers in 24 days starting on December 1st. We'll have daily 10 to 15 minute episodes going over the beer of the day. So um, if you guys are listening to this, uh, head out to Costco, try to grab you one of those and uh, get ready for a wonderful December. Welcome to Plato's Gravity. This is Aaron, uh, and today we are here without Jason, so uh, he is not here to not say his name, so I've already said it. So we've kind of spoiled spoiled the uh, early episode fun, but uh, uh, we're really happy to be uh, here again at Upland. Uh, and I say here again very loosely, because we are at Upland, where we've been before, but this is the new Fountain Square uh, location. Uh, so I want to thank uh, Pete and Matt for coming on. Pete's been on the show before uh, when we were at the, the wood shop in, in Bloomington. Uh, Matt's uh, first time on the show, so he'll uh, uh, play tap on tap for the first time. Pete's a veteran. We'll see mm-hmm. if uh, the combination of the two can uh, bear off. Uh, and I, I normally say that we start... Oh, well, first of all, Pete, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Matt, welcome to the show. Hi. Fantastic. Um, so uh, we start every show by drinking a, uh, a brewed beverage. Uh, normally I say beer, but today we're going to start... Uh, we're recording at about uh, 11 a.m. On a, on a Tuesday morning. So uh, we're starting uh, with some brewed uh, kombucha, ginger hibiscus kombucha, which you can pick up on tap at Upland Brewery here in Fountain Square. Uh, so yeah, can you want to talk a little bit about uh, this kombucha? Yeah, so we have a, uh, a, base, a base blend of tea that we use for most of the kombuchas. So it's uh, black tea and oolong tea, and we will uh, we'll brew that just like you would at home. Uh, we're, ju- we're essentially just steeping tea, we're Sweet. adding sugar, and then we're uh, adding all of the microorganisms that are required for the fermentation. So once it goes through the fermentation, that's usually uh, at, at the stage that would be like dry hopping. That's when we add our other flavors. So uh, that base kombucha was fermented, and then we recirculated through hibiscus and uh, fresh ginger. You recirculated through, like, how does that how does So that... we have a sock filter at the oh, wood nice. shop. We do the kombucha at the wood shop so that we can keep all of the strange little creatures away from our uh, our clean core beer. Are the, uh, um, the, the, the yeast? and bacteria aren't symbiotic with the brewery here? Yeah, Sim- exactly. Symbiotic. No, no, no. We, uh, far far away from... Scoby joke for those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we load up the uh, sock filter with uh, whatever ingredients we want to add on the cold side, and then we'll just uh, go out of the bottom of the tank and through the sock filter and back in through a racking arm until it tastes the way we want it to, to taste. It's a lot of things like spices especially, they don't necessarily scale up linearly, so if you were to make like a small batch and use a certain amount of a spice, you can't just like multiply that by the volume and get exactly the same extraction, so if we recirculate, then we can just, we, we, we're going through the, the ingredients and we can taste it, and when it gets to the point where it's strong enough, we can stop at that point, right. so we don't overdo it. Yeah, That's, that's sort of interesting, because I, I know that that scaling up issue is, is as much of an issue with uh, spices and kombucha, because I trust you, but then also that's an issue with hops in, in beer. Uh, yep. Where the the hop ratio for beer doesn't necessarily scale well to to a commercial model, Have, is that kind of process of, of of running beer through hops something you've ever thought of of doing to adjust flavor with hops? We haven't we haven't 
done it on the on the large scale and haven't thought too much about it because you know it re- would require a totally different piece of equipment that sure. would cost thousands of dollars and a, a lot of little subtle things like that. You know, they're just probably not worth it. But we do have it hot back, sure. so uh, still on the hot side, out of the kettle, on the way to the whirlpool, we can we can run through uh, fresh hops or just whole leaf hops, and we do that for a few a few batches a year. Sweet, sweet. So and then Matt, we didn't uh, clarify. So y- you uh, are taking care of the kombucha brewing here uh, at, uh, at, when you're at the wood shop, and then also you're doing experimental beers here at the the Fountain Square Brewery location. Yeah. So uh, me and Eli, uh, who's the sour brewer, Eli Trinkle, uh, we'll we'll do the uh, kombucha at the wood shop, which we've only done. A handful of batches now. Um, where we don't move through a whole lot of volume of kombucha, uh, not yet, anyways. Uh, but my my main job is is a brewer at the Core Brewery um, on the west side of Bloomington, and I'm also the what we call the in- innovation lead. So I do a lot of the uh, experimental brewing, which now mostly takes here takes place here at Fountain Square. So and this is uh, this is a new seven barrel system. Yeah, so we went with the Blickman system here. We've got a seven-barrel brew house and three seven-barrel fermenters right now. Um, We have a little baby three-and-a-half-barrel bright tank or packaging tank that we'll uh, be able to uh, use when we're ready to package a barrel-aged beer. So we're planning to do some uh, barrel-aging here. Um, Not a huge volume, nothing like the woodshop, but if we wanted to do one barrel, uh, some experimental uh, infusion with spices or fruits or anything like that, uh, we could do a single barrel at a time here, which is something we are not able to do down right. in Bloomington. Yeah, that's uh, so. When you guys and you say you're at right now, how many times a week are you guys getting down here to brew experimental beer? Someone's here at least once a week, um, sometimes twice. Um, but at any given time, right now we've we've made the choice to to really um, leverage the team in Bloomington to you know take what we've learned there and brew. Um, experimental beers up here so you know matt's our lead we've also got a handful of other guys that'll be able to come up and brew up brew up here we're still still learning the system uh still in startup mode um but um the goal here is really just to make enough uh so that we can get some feedback have it on tap here at fountain square or even add on tap um on some other other locations really not meant for any sort of wide distribution out of this facility it's just you know trial some some new hops you know some new varieties on a small scale um and get some feedback before we decide to put it in a package or something like that. So if I wanted to be kind of like an upland experimental uh, fan, how, how often would I ha- would I should I show up here to make sure I get a, I get at least a taste of every one of the experimentals? We're still learning how quickly things are turning over here, but I think right now, um, once we get brewing, you know, every couple weeks, every two three weeks, sure. there should be something new. Uh, we're not quite there yet, just because we're we're trying to iron out the the kinks and. Um, but I know that um, we just tapped uh, a beer called Party Hammer a week or so ago. Sure. We're al- almost through that. Um, so we're ca- trying to get, starting to get an idea of how quickly the beers are moving through. Sweet. That's awesome. So and, you, uh, go ahead. No, in addition to the, the rotating uh, beers produced here on site, um, we do have a lot more sour beers that we don't normally get to uh, put on tap uh, at all locations. So you know, we've got you know eight or nine different sour beers on tap. Those are also rotating quite a bit. Because uh, the wood shop does uh, make quite a few few beers throughout the year, so how, that, that's really interesting. Because I know that the turnaround time on the sour beers uh, is not quite so quick as maybe uh, your IPA or or the uh, the champagne of beers. Uh, uh, champagne. No, that's that's it's not called. Oh that, right? yeah, no, yeah, that's yeah. the wrong no, logo. Yeah. Uh, sorry, <laughs> this is the champagne velvet. I'm so sorry. Uh, I don't want to get anyone in trouble here. But so. Um, 
as you guys are planning to open this uh, this tap room and to put more of those sour beers on tap than are held before, like uh, how much time and preparation did it take you to kind of uh, build up the stock of, of those beers? And did you divert? Did you, are you just producing more sour beer now, or did you divert some of your uh, your distribution? Yeah, so we we've always been uh, brewing a lot of different style, a lot of different types of beers out of the wood shop. Um, we didn't necessarily brew uh, extra just specifically for here, but um, we just have a, we have over twenty taps of beer here, so sure. we have the flexibility. At some other sites, we just didn't have we really just didn't have the number of taps. Sure, um, and so we do. We are making a lot more sour beer than we were three four years ago. Um, it's being distributed kind of a, a little more. Uh, around the country now, but uh, still a lot of it's still here in Indiana and out of our own location. So um, we had some we had some uh, beer that we've made. Uh, some of the beers too that you know, not only make, takes a long time to brew, but the uh, shelf life is actually quite a bit longer too. So some sure. of these beers were brewed earlier in the year or even last year, and they're still tasting like delicious. Sometimes they even taste better with age. So um, so some of these beers, you know, we didn't make them two weeks ago. They they were made several months ago, but they're we're just now maybe releasing them. Sure. Yeah. I know, uh, uh, to speak to some of the, the aids that you can put on the beers, Eli was very generous uh, when we came down. He gave us a, a, a case of beer, and among them was Cavendish, which we talked about on the show. Ah, and that yeah. was, uh, I think it was pretty old when we got it. It was, it was uh, pretty, pretty damn delicious. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, that was a fun project. That's an that. interesting choice to yeah. pick out. <laughs> yeah, Cavendish? <laughs> I, I, yeah, well, smoked so, bananas. You picked that one well, as, the, as your... The, uh, want to talk about. I'm not. Uh, I'm not personally like. I- I'm an aspiring sour beer drinker, uh, primarily because my wife loves sour beer, mm. uh, and so I-, I like to try to kind of develop a palate for something that we can share. Because she's certainly, I don't think, plans on developing a palate for for hops, uh-huh. uh, or even for overly malty beers, gotcha. um, which are my my two sort of favorite things. Are you know extreme of one of uh, of the other of those two things. So, uh, but the the, the smoked banana kind of satisfies my need for kind of a really bold flavor uh, to offset the the acidity, which I sometimes struggle with. And that beer is thanks to Caleb up at uh, Sugar Creek Malt. He has a smokehouse where you can smoke malt with basically anything that you want. And so we, we use that smokehouse to smoke bananas, and that, that we just lay the bananas out on the floor, and he's pumping the smoke in. I can't remember what wood he used, but uh, he's got a cool little setup there that you can do a lot of innovative things with, and he's helped us out several times with things like that. We had a, uh, a homebrew on the show, I think our third episode, uh, and well, I forget. Uh, I sadly, I could look back, uh, but I'm just going to be honest and say I forget. I think his name is Brian, but we we, we always refer to him when we talk about the episode as Smoke Tops guy. Uh, oh, okay. he actually smoked hops. Uh, I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah, smoke tops. Uh, so smoking things and putting them in beer, not just not just the malts. So uh, that's good stuff. So. Um, let, let's go back to. I, I want to spend a little more time uh, on the the kombucha. I think that's a really that's a really kind of a cool offering from a brewery. I haven't seen other breweries who are kind of expanding outside of uh, outside of the, the the beer fermentation. So, can you talk about how that got started? Well, it, it is maybe a, a more risky thing for your average brewery to do, but we're lucky enough to have the wood shop where it's the wild west in terms of microorganisms. So, uh, there's there's not really much that we need in terms of equipment that would be different in order to make kombucha. So we thought it was within our wheelhouse, and we wanted to get into a realm of uh, you know, more healthier, more, sure. more healthy beverages. And, and not to say that 
not to say that kombucha is not to make any health claims about kombucha because some of them are more substantiated than others but certainly when you compare kombucha to any soda that you would have right. instead if you're coming to if you're coming to the brewery and you're not you don't want to drink beer or you're at lunch you can't drink beer and you want something non-alcoholic and your choices are like coffee or water or soda uh, it's something that is certainly more healthy than soda and 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 in my opinion just as interesting and satisfying as a beer so we we saw the opportunity uh a lot of us are getting older we're looking for more healthy things we're looking for for opportunities not to drink beer (laughs) especially in the industry where that opportunity is always there uh so we we felt kombucha would be a a good fit for for that slot yeah i I, as i age i I find it really helpful to drink non-alcoholic beverages out of tulip glasses at party it's more Uh, satisfying it really is it it makes me feel not as left out right especially if i if i you know i I, sparkling water works for me but kombucha and you can fool people into thinking kombucha is a beer too at that same party right well and you can make yeah you can make jokes you can say ah i've got my cup of fermented beverage and they won't think you're referring to to beer and they'll be wrong yeah there's there's another element to this uh you know crafting kombucha uh we were talking about before before we got on the on the show here just about the challenge uh, if there was a beer that he made in an experimental way that set in the kegs longer than he thought, like it just didn't hit the. Niche. You're asking for the worst beer we've ever made. No, 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 because right? you, as you mentioned, can, it's, it's, sub- you it's subjective, right? So, so the, yeah. the I'm asking for the beer that you made for the people who didn't come in. Oh. So like you, it was a good, like like don't tell me the bad beer. Tell me a beer that you thought was good and was like good to your well, palate. We, so the, the beer go. I was going to tell you about was we made two good beers and then blended them into a bad beer. Oh, that's we had a, we had a, <laughs> <laughs> we had a really pretty good milk stout. And a really pretty good Belgian strong Belgian ale, gold, yeah. and then we put uh, we black put uh, black currants into the into the Belgian strong ale and blended it with the milk stout, and we called it "Let's Get Get Weird," which yeah. it was. It was very weird, it but like. it was maybe the worst beer that we've we've. Yeah. Uh, so that didn't go. That that didn't go. But either one of those beers would have been great. That's too bad. Well, at least you were among the the few who got to taste that beer before it was blended, right? Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So when you guys are like tasting beer before you blend it, this is actually a show, uh, question I should have asked on the, on, on the last show. Um, are, are you like uh, chilling and carving those up so you have like the experience of what it's going to be like, or are you just kind of having a feel from the still beer? Yeah, it really just depends um, on the sour side of things. Uh, we're not doing any sort of carbonating or chilling. We're, we're just taking that still and it's warm, um, and we're sam- sampling straight out of the barrel or, st- or straight out of a large oak tank fooder. Yeah. Um, taking notes, writing descriptors, kind of getting a good feel for it. Um, on the clean side of the brewery, we still, for the most part, are drinking a still beer, um, but we also are drinking and tasting cold carbonated beer before it's packaged. Um, and I know we've experimented a little bit with doing sensory, um, with trying to carb it up and, and chill it before, beforehand, um, but we've for the most part, we're tasting uh, uncarbonated beer. Sure. That's for the majority of the time. I think in a perfect world, though, I mean, if we just had the time and, and, and ability to, you know, the bandwidth to do it, we would ideally be tasting. We'd take a sample, chill it, carb it up, and taste it there. Because you just think about how much, when you carbonate water, how much that changes the flavor of water. Right. Like, it's, it's a totally different thing. And so right. it's the same thing with beer. And to really get an accurate read on it ideally you would be you'd be well, chilling yeah. and i find at the, at the homebrew scale a lot of times when i'm making when i when i'm tasting my beer um uh i've made some beers that i felt like were good still and warm uh and i was really happy with them and i carved them up and they were they were even better but i've also yeah. made some beers that weren't that good still and warm and the carbonation and the cooling helped me out a little bit so yeah, uh, yeah. you know i think maybe as a brewer if you taste it warm and still 
it's got to yeah. be really good. We've le- yeah, and we've learned a lot. That, that same thing, the phenomenon you're describing, we we find the same thing on the large scale. Um, and, and sometimes on the sour side, we know there may be some flavors in there uh, when it's still, but we know they'll they'll kind of go away after it's carbonated. Or um, you know, the hop character, we know. May may still taste pretty raw in fermentation, but you know after it's clarified, after it's carbonated, you know. So over time, we've learned to know like yeah, this is going to be okay. But for right now, the the only carbonated chilled beer we're tasting is out of the bright tank right before it's right. packaged. Right. So at that point, it's pretty much. Done. I mean, we're not gonna. You're not. Uh, it's going or it's not going. It's going right. Yeah. So it's uh, that's a red light, green light thing. So, um, but at the same time, we are. That is a practice. We get three tasters. Uh, to sign off on the bright tank before it goes to the can line or the bottling line or kegging, um, just as like a final, like, yep, this is perfect, delicious upland beer, and then we package it. Sweet. So um, it seems like there could be an entrepreneurial opportunity uh, or a thing for John Blickman to do where they make like a thing where, you know, professional brewers can like pull a gallon into a thing and like it automatically carbonates well, and chills it. The thing, the thing like exists. Yeah. The thing exists. There's a, it's called a carb Damn cap, it. right? So we, you can get a two liter jug and you can just screw this cap that's got like a uh, a poppet sure you know like a like a like a corny keg on it and you can carbonate it that way so we've done that before oh, okay so there's, um, there's a thing but it's just not it just takes a lot of time i'm sorry so. to all the entrepreneurs <laughs> out there you, you no longer have an opportunity uh but if, what you yeah, can do wants to create a stainless steel version and if they want to make it really fast do it in like two seconds that would be uh, charge a bunch of money yeah, for yeah. It. they have they have these beer taps that can serve beer like uber fast but i i never really get the uh, the the I mean, unless you're really slinging beer, yeah. it's uh, like you serve a pint in like two seconds or two point five seconds or oh, whatever. Wow. <laughs> That's um, oh, those are the fill from the bottom. Well, I know those cups, are those, those are, are a different sort of thing. I, yeah. I am super fascinated uh, by those bottoms up tap systems, um, but they I, I don't like I, I don't like them because the the I don't like the the business model. So they're really selling to you cups and not tap mm-hmm. systems, and I, I want to. Like when I first started investigating those things, I was trying to like buy one for my house, which they'll, they'll sell you one. You can get one for, for your home. Um, but then the, the, it's really hard to come by the products that are reusable for them. They really just want yeah. you to buy their plastic cups over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, which that's, is the worst thing we can possibly do right Yeah, now. I'm not really trying to buy plastic cups. Um, and uh, unlike when I get a, bo- a beer poured uh, from uh, a bottoms-up system at Yat, which is a wonderful local restaurant here, um, I do not have a chance to win a free meal when I uh, do that at home. So <laughs> it's no good. It's just wasted plastic. But no, these are uh, made by uh, CM Becker. It's a German company uh, that, that makes that makes, that makes taps. So yeah. are you guys, are you guys like, uh, that's, a, that's a fun question. Are you guys uh, uh, brand agnostic when it comes to taps or do you guys have like all the same hardware in all your, all your tap rooms? Uh, we have the similar tap handle. We have the axe handle yeah. uh, at all our tap rooms. Uh, here we have a little bit shorter version, the, okay. the shotgun handle. Uh, but we use, we're, we kind of have simplified, um, you know, black and white is like the blacker are uh, wood age or sour beers and the whiter are clean beers. And then in terms um, of faucets, are you guys? Uh, we use pretty much Perlick almost exclusively with flow control. Nice. Uh, it's not the top, top, top end of the line. It's not the bottom. It's, it's really very functional for us. You know, uh. We're in a, a new space. It's a seven barrel brewery. It's a tap room. It's in Fountain Square. It's a, it's a beautiful location and a wonderful place to drink beer and kombucha um can you talk about the challenges of of being a production brewery with a couple tap rooms at a at a really big scale and then kind of like trying to fit into kind of a new smaller type of form factor 
Yeah, it's it's kind of weird to even talk about this because you know when we opened in 1998, you know started with a 37 barrel brew house. Sure, so we never really had a small brew pub with a small system uh, in our history, and so um, we were at our, our brew pub. Original brew pub had a 37 barrel system, kind of outgrew the space there and put in a new new system on a new production brewery. Uh, we had plenty of space to grow and plenty of fermenters. Uh, we converted our old brew house into a sour brewery. It's all sure. dedicated sour beers. And so it is weird to say, like, we've never really had a small syst- experimental system before. We were using um, a brew magic, which is sure. a very nice uh, homebrew scale system to develop pretty much all our beers. And I will say it worked really well for a long time. Um, but just after our first, to- our first batch of Dragonfly that we brewed here... Uh, at Fountain Square on the seven barrel system, the you know it missed the gravity a little bit, but we were really pleasantly surprised with how close it was to Dragonfly. Sure. And so for us, being able to brew something here and having an even better idea of what this is going to taste like in our big system is huge for us. Right. It was always a, and in Matt, Matt, you know, like, like you were saying when he when he we first moved into the new space, we dusted off this old brew magic and we're like, hey. Whoever wants to brew on it, go for it. We want to start, you know, getting more innovation going since we had more space and, and all that. Um, and it was always, I mean, he kind of got the art of figuring out how do you go from that little small homebrew scale up to the large scale. And we were, it was always a guessing game. Like we never really knew how close it was going to be. And then usually the first, second, third batch of a new beer, we finally got it on a large scale. Sure. We got it dialed in to what the brew magic might have tasted. Yeah. Like. So we're hoping now we'll be able to go to the large scale and, you know, we'll, we'll brew it here, maybe one tweak and boom, we got it right out of the gate on the big, big system, that kind of thing. And some things are more predictable than others. Like sure, so, sure. If the malt bill, I mean, you can pretty much right. the same right. malt bill, but well. hop utilization is, is huge. So right. for example, we have a whirlpool tank, uh, at our, at our main core facility. And so it takes us 35 minutes to get from the kettle into the whirlpool where that word is still hot, still touching the hops that were in there. Still hot, and then when we go into, the, into the whirlpool, we, we'll spin it for 15 minutes on more hops in the whirlpool. And then it takes an hour to knock that whole thing out and to do, to try to do the math, to figure out how much hop utilization you're getting when the volume's constantly going down, you know, and the time's constantly going up. And, but then here, for example, we, we just go right out of the kettle. So we can do, we can wait for an hour in the whirlpool if we want to, to simulate that. But, um, right, right. you know, that, that it's really the time, uh, that the hops are in the hot work that, that, that changes for any given system. Okay. That's, so that's, that's why, what, that's why it doesn't scale nicely. Cause it's the, it's the, the bitter, it's the bitterness and it's the flavor extraction and it's just the general hop utilization that are, they're really hard to, to dial in. So like he was saying, the first few, few times we brew a new beer, we'll be constantly tweaking it into what, uh, you know what the what does the desired profile is? So, so a com- a common feature. I've interviewed a, a, a we've interviewed a couple breweries, and then we've heard stories from from others or listened to other podcasts where brewers have have come on and talked about about their stuff. And, and for me, a, a common feature of, of breweries that have amazing beer is that they tend to let employees experiment, uh, or at least that tends to not uh, affect the the beer poorly. And I know that you guys talked about uh, on the last episodes how you know that brew magic was kind of fair game. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, when you have to commit seven barrels. Uh, to the thing, what are, are there new uh, requirements to to get? To, do you, is it brew magic to seven barrel, or is it? Uh, how does that work? That's a great question. So um, something we're learning right now, but you know everybody wants to come up here and brew. Sure, so that's uh, that's one thing. Um, you know, Matt's kind of our point and our lead um, on the brew schedule up here. Um, there's certain things that you know I work together with him on where. Okay, this is a beer we want to try to make for next year. We got to get it worked in up here. 
uh, a new seasonal, for example, that we want to maybe release late next year. We got to get it scheduled. So there is a little bit more, you know, versus the Brew Magic was like, we're not, we're not, you know, making anything yeah, necessarily sure. to yeah, sell. Twenty five dollars on that recipe. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, so a little bit larger scale here, um, but like your question earlier, like we still are learning. You know, we make a small batch here. You know, how long will it take us to pour through and make another batch? We can make basically three different batches at a time. Sure. And so um, we've got uh, two or three other brewers that um, also work on recipes that are going to come up here and and brew. And and one thing we mentioned was barrel aging. So some of the stuff will come up, brew, put it in barrels, and it's not going to come out till next year. Um, And so there's there's a lot of fair game there. And there's some things we've, uh, you know, we. Matt was kind of describing the beers that we make, and you know we make some beers that are pretty wide-reaching, some beers that can be very specialized. Um, and for here, it's also beers we really just want to drink. Right. So, so there's some beers that we've always wanted to make that we know are not necessarily going to be the most popular beer. Yeah, we're we bringing make- an English mild next. Oh, very nice. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> Is that the answer to the question, which beer do you want to drink? Yeah. Uh, yeah, right now. I mean, that yeah. question, that answer changes every sure. every yeah. day, but yeah. Yeah, so there's, you know, and, and for us, you know, uh, making a almost 40-barrel bat, you know, 80, 80 kegs, 8-0 kegs of right. something, to risk making a smoked beer or right. something that we know isn't necessarily going to reach a lot of people is tough for us to do, but we can't, you know, we, we thrive on innovating and, and, you know, that's why we all got into, well, that's why I got into home brewing is yeah. just experimenting and trying new things, learning new processes. So uh, this allows us to do that. And so, so uh, certain things about recipe development are kind of hard to screw up when other process steps are in place. So sure. we're using the same cleaning regiments that we're using uh, at, the, at the profile facility. We're using the same, uh, you know, all the same quality steps uh, for the most part that we use down there. We're, we're paying attention to pitching rate. We're using healthy yeast. The most important thing, in my opinion, is the fermentation. And sure. so uh, the yeast that we've been using so far up here, we've got it fresh from uh, our core facility and we're using it within a couple days and then we're calculating how much we need so we're getting the right pitching rates and keeping everything clean. And, and, and that's really what's important. And beyond that, the rest is only just one element of it so you can have a pretty wild recipe that's maybe not the ideal you know malt bill and and maybe it's a little too bitter or whatever but you can still make a pretty good beer as long as all those other steps are in place yeah absolutely and i think that's uh that's the thing i think is sometimes a challenge on a homebrew scale for me is like that you know i i can go through a lot of different steps to to make sure things right but like i don't i don't have a thermo i have a thermometer in my in my fermentation chamber but it's an air thermometer and not a beer thermometer so i yeah. get a little bit of temperature variation especially during the first couple minutes or first couple hours of active fermentation when it heats up and so. yeah having uh glycol jacketing and temperature probes that are automatically kicking on and off those are pretty helpful tools on a when they work when yeah when they work we still have to have controls in place if they fail um so we can still keep things under control um you know occasionally you know a valve might stick open and now we got started cooling when we really want it to cool so there's there's challenges that come up on our end with keeping those temperatures tight but here you know here at this system the the jack glycol system the jackets it's all almost identical to the, the same design uh, to, as our larger system so it probably helps um, a ton with 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 keeping things consistent and giving you yeah. that, that real example of what it might be if you if you go a 40 yeah totally yeah totally. that's awesome so and then, by the way just as a uh, we're gonna take a, a quick break and then c- come back and what we'll, we'll probably do is we'll, we'll come back and uh we'll talk about kombucha a, a little bit again 
Uh, and then I'll edit that out if, right. uh, if we don't need it. <laughs> sure. uh, we'll just maybe spend like, you know, maybe not as in-depth as before. And then uh, we'll get to the, the more fun aspects of the show. Actually, this has been tremendous fun. But we'll do some, uh, some, some off-the-wall questions and some tap-on-tap. Uh, and that's fantastic. Before I do that, I just want to put in a shameless plug for my wife. If you do decide to make a smoked beer, uh, yeah, yeah. just make just just yeah, just tweet that bad boy out because we will come to drink it. She loves smoked beer. All right. oh, it's it's all hard right. to find. There, there's definitely one in the works. So Zach Allgood, who uh, does all of our uh, clean barrel aging um, stuff, he he's really into smoked beers, and so I know he's got a recipe worked up that once we get a chance, we'll be brewing it on this system. Yeah. Uh, Maybe in barrels, maybe fresh. Who knows? Oh yeah, in barrels. Even you have to wait for it, but it'll be it'll be nice. The uh, I, I can't expect you to follow the the admonition that she gives me, but she's like, "You're making it for me, so I don't care if other people think it's overkill. Put more yeah, yeah, smoked yeah. malt." Well, that's in that's there. what that's like. I was saying earlier, there's a niche, you know, yeah. and so like there's certain people, and if you know, there's seven barrels worth of people that will drink a really heavy <laughs> smoked yeah. beer. So I made somewhere. her a, a Roush beer at uh, at like seven percent smoked malt, and she was like, "It's just not enough, man." Uh, and I was like, "All right, all right." All right. Load it up. <laughs> yeah, load it up. All right. Sweet. We'll take a break and be right back. Welcome back to Plato's Gravity. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks again uh, for joining us, uh, Pete and Matt from Upland Brewery here at the Fountain Square location. Um, I know I appreciate you, especially you guys squeezing me in. I know you guys are headed to Bloomington this afternoon, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. We had some uh, audio issues, which uh, you may or may uh, not hear some uh, interesting takes on uh, kombucha before this moment. We're going to talk a little bit more about kind of what the kombucha process is uh, at, a, at a brewery. Uh, <coughs> Why did you guys kind of start doing kombucha? So, uh, yeah, as we talked about earlier, we, we wanted to find something to fill a slot for a non-alcoholic be- beverage that was still interesting and in our wheelhouse of, uh, of fermentation. So um, there's not a whole lot that we needed to do differently to brew kombucha than what we, uh, how, we, how we brew beer, okay? So we're using our, we're using our kettle to uh, get water hot enough to steep tea, sure. and then we're adding sugar to that tea, and we're knocking out through our heat exchanger just like we do with beer. We go into stainless steel totes, and we add... Uh, the blend of microorganisms, uh, sometimes the scopy, sometimes just the liquid, sometimes the, okay. the yeast off the bottom, you know, trying, trying to get the right ratio of, of yeast to bacteria, just like you would at home, just on a larger scale. So we're just brewing tea, adding the microorganisms, keeping it exposed to oxygen, and uh, waiting. And usually we can turn those around in, uh, pro- it's about a six-week fermentation, which okay. we think we can definitely get, get shorter, at least get sure. down, down to a month. For that, but then uh, after the initial fermentation process, uh, we'll then do some cold side recirculation through our sock filter that we load up with ginger and hibiscus or uh, jasmine flowers or whatever the the ingredient that we want to use, and we'll recirculate through that until uh, the flavor profile is where we want it. I guess you a little more control, being able to kind of go back through until you get it just right. Yep, that's yeah. pretty sweet. One other thing to add would be, you know, we're doing all of this brewing, the kombucha brewing in our. Uh, sour barrel aged facility the wood shop so there's uh, lots of wild yeast and bacteria already living in that brewery Um, and so that is something that's a little unique to us we have a facility that's designed and uh, can kind of handle these uh, microorganisms there's a little less risk to all the other beer Uh, so we wouldn't really we we are not making this uh, kombucha anywhere near our main production where we're making dragonfly and shaping velvet and campsite um, so we're lucky to have that. And like Matt said, all the uh, equipment really is there. Um, we do keep things separate. We use a, 
a stainless vessel, like a it's like a cube. So we have these storage containers where we can do the fermentation in there. Um, we've experimented a little bit in barrels, but that's still kind of yeah. Like, uh, is that something like if, if, if a barrel is it like a, if a barrel is a kombucha barrel, is it always a kombucha barrel? Probably. Yeah. So it's yeah. There's there's a lot of unknowns there with really like what what sorts of microorganisms are out competing other ones. Sure. Um, I've been to kombucha breweries where they use barrels ex- exclusively, uh, but they were fresh barrels and they uh, they've only had kombucha in them. So we just had some difficulties with we had some like mold growing around the rim of the barrel, so we decided sure. to just dump that and abandon that uh, effort. We didn't want to. We didn't want to roll the dice that much, so we switched to the stainless steel. So, and we, we started the show with a hibiscus ginger kombucha, which you guys have on tap here at the at the Fountain Square location. Uh, it was absolutely delicious, and I would be uh, proud to drink that at any party with uh, a tulip glass. I have to get it here, though, right? I can't take it away from here. Right, we don't have it in package or anything yet, uh, just on draft. Are we doing growl- growlers? We should be doing growlers. Some carry out that way, yeah. Right, and so that's uh, yeah. If you want to, uh, if you want to have a little less alcohol, that's you guys said that was one point five percent at a party. Come in and uh, fill yourself up with some hibiscus ginger kombucha. It was great. And then if you want that beer flavor, you could also. There's a little bit of the galaxy hop one left, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, we dry hopped one batch with galaxy, and it takes surprisingly little hops to get a lot of character out of it and uh we were talking earlier off the mic about how uh maybe it's the maybe it's the acid profile of the kombucha or maybe uh who, who knows but it you, you get a uh flavor profile from the hops that is much closer to the actual aroma that you get when you open the package of of hops it's it's to me it's it's fresher and it, it might be a little strange for people that are used to drinking beer where that that hop aroma changes as as it goes through different processes in the fermentation of the beer but um with the kombucha it comes off very fresh and well, it seems I think, to, like a raw hop I, yeah. I think yeah from a from a homebrewer's perspective it was sort of refreshing because it's like oh this this it was a, it wasn't a, a foreign smell i mean if all you ever do is drink you know galaxy smashed beers and then you you smell that you're gonna be like well this doesn't smell like galaxy hops but if you if you brew with galaxy hops you're like oh this yeah. is this is i know yeah. this smell this yeah. is, is yeah. really good yeah that was that was really i could drink a ton of that that was that was really good so thank you for for sharing that all right so we are gonna we're gonna jump back into to uh some questions about the kind of the seven barrel brewery here uh we talked uh on the break uh, kind of about some of the challenges that you have uh, in a smaller system. Uh, you have different surface area to volume ratios and things like that. You might be wor- more worried about oxidation when you're dry hopping. So uh, you kind of talked about a cool feature upgrade that you guys are going to get to to solve uh, or, or to eliminate even more dissolved oxygen in the beer. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so ideally we would keep it a closed system the entire time. And most most brewers, what they do to dry hop is you you've literally got to open a port to the atmosphere, to the air on top, and dump the hops in. Um, so uh, you can do things to mitigate the oxygen, like you can you can put a little bit of CO2 pressure uh, on the tank, and, and ideally you'll have positive pressure and, and minimize the oxygen that way. Um, but we have this unit, uh, I can't remember the manufacturer off the top of my head, but essentially it sits, uh, you put a valve on the dry hop, dry hop port on top of the tank, and you put this unit on top of that valve, it can hold 11 pounds of hops, put the hops in there you can seal off the top then you can purge it and then uh, just open the valve and keep it a closed system and and add virtually no oxygen to the process so especially for things like juicy new england ipas where the tiniest bit of oxidation really can be detrimental to the beer uh downstream we're going to be we're going to be using that that toy and is that that kind of when you're when you're using that toy to prevent oxidation in the beer does that does that in addition to kind of like the initial flavor profile of the beer and not having those oxidative flavors that are that are not so good, does that improve the shelf life of your beer or your your, your keg life? I mean, oxidation is directly related to shelf. That, that's the main 
beer uh, spoiler, if you will, not not from a bacterial standpoint, but like that's uh, you can have um, certain certain precursors uh, that will develop into off flavors with a little bit of oxygen over time and package, and uh, we really do. That's 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 one of the main things that we do to try and improve our shelf life. Is is absolutely every stage of the process after fermentation is to uh, reduce the amount of oxygen that we're exposing it to. So we, we have special protocols for purging tanks and things like that. And we, um, at least at the at the core brewery, we are measuring oxygen at every stage of the process and trying to get down to a very, very, very low levels in terms of industry industry standards. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. So uh, I think I think it's interesting. Uh, we talked a little bit on the last um, Upland episodes about kind of the advantages of existing as a brewery in a college town uh, and, and having kind of the... the the Bloomington crowd, and not only do you get kind of a wealth of, of, of new drinkers uh, there that, that changes over time, so so you can constantly expose yourself to a brand, that, and the people just move away and then still drink your beer. Uh, can you talk about the benefits of, of being in a community like Fountain Square, uh, where there's really just been a lot of growth and development, and uh, it's a really kind of great weekend scene, and, and how that's changed? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's uh, we've had a connection here with Fountain Square for a long time. Our, our sales offices used to be here. It connects uh, with us kind of culturally. Um, and so we're, we really try to um, uh, integrate with the community really, really uh, tightly here. We've got the bike shop here as well, which right. is, which is uh, I think this community really um, is embracing. And, and it's something that I think folks... Uh, they, they kind of needed here somewhere to get their bike uh, tuned up, so they're doing you know some some repairs and sales and things like that here. Um, but for us, shout out to Grey Goat Bicycle Company. Grey Goat, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the difference, uh, from my perspective, from Fountain Square to Blunt Down in Bloomington is up here. You know, um, we're able to connect with a lot uh, bigger audience with Indianapolis. Sure, uh, sure. So we have a big audience with um, uh, in a college town. Uh, but our sour beers, I think we've re- as we've come in here, we've realized folks in Indianapolis, Indianapolis really love our sour beers. Sure. Um, so we're able to um, share a lot more of those here. Um, also, just getting feedback from um, uh, the experimental beers that we're doing—that's something new that we'll get um, a different a different perspective than you know the same uh, group we've been uh, we know very very well in Bloomington. It's a, we're very integrated with the community there. The, the beer to food ratio that comes out of this place too is also much higher than than at other locations. So okay. there's a lot of people coming in here that are that are maybe they're having one more pint or maybe they're just coming in for drinks. And there's there's just a generally a okay. more beer centric culture up here. So we sell uh, our our beer to food ratio is much higher in this location. Wow, that's that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. the uh, you know and being in a, in a in a location like this, you talk about getting feedback. Can you talk about like how, how that works? I know like. Uh, sometimes I feel like I, I'll go to a brewery and I'll, I'll drink beer and I might have great things to say or I might have negative things to say and I never really feel comfortable giving feedback. So how does that, how do those interactions work? Are, are your bartenders soliciting that type of feedback or, or how does that go? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of different ways that we get feedback. Um, but I will say probably the single biggest source for us is Untapped. Sure. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's what we call a segue in the yeah. industry. We're going to play <laughs> Tap Untapped in about two seconds now. Well, but I mean, it's a, there's pros and cons. You know, there's a lot of great stuff we see there. Uh, it can make it can it can make your day if yeah. you go on there and you see it, or it can it can uh, create some frustration uh, with some folks. Uh, but at the same time, uh, that once that app now that that app is kind of pervasive and um, yeah, we do look at that, and it's sure. it's great feedback. It's a great tool for us to say, hey, you know what? People love this beer. 
um, and we make more of it or um, it didn't do as well as another beer. Or are, are you all able to like segment the, uh, the the feedback that you get? Like, are are you checking like if someone checks in at Fountain Square or yeah. Broad Ripple or things like? Are you segmenting those we, audiences? We can see, yeah, that? we can see where they were drinking it, and we also know like, uh, for example, like uh, Party Hammer, the newest beer we made up here that was really only on tap here. So all of the comments are coming from here. are coming from here, right? Yeah, yeah you can't. So we do have, we do have one keg in Bloomington. One, at, yeah, at one profile, keg yeah. made it down to the the brewery in, in Bloomington. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's probably the single biggest source of feedback for us, to be honest with you. But um, with this being a new, still relatively new, it just opened up, you know, end of uh, in um, July, early August timeframe. We're still uh, trying to figure out ways to get better feedback on the experimental stuff that we're sure. doing. So uh, more to come on that um, out of this location. Yeah, if anybody who uses Untap is interested in being useful, <laughs> the best type of review is one in which you say. I like this aspect, but I don't like this aspect. And and if we get if we see a trend where there's a lot of people like ah, it's a little too bitter, um, that's really helpful. And so we, we do we do take suggestions seriously if there's a lot of data points saying the same thing. Uh, but if you're just like meh or whatever, it, it doesn't it doesn't do us any good. You know, we want to make better beer based on feedback. And so if you give uh, specific feedback, we actually will pay attention to that and, and, and make some tweaks. Nice, nice. So so if you want to uh, have a specific change, like an overly smoky beer, Kelly, you can just post on <laughs> Untap that you want more smoke and whatever yeah. smoked beer Bring comes out of those barrels. Smoke. Of course, any one beer, we do get people saying the exact opposite thing back to back. So know, this, create multiple the, accounts and say it again. And again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have a ginger, uh, ginger lemon beer on tap right now breaking away, and so there's pretty much... 50-50 people that are saying too much ginger and people that are saying hardly any ginger at all. You know? Oh, so all right. That's interesting. That just speaks to different taste buds, but, you know, it's it's still... It's so still so as a brewer, what's your approach to that to that feedback? Are, are you more inclined to, to add more ginger for the people who really want a ginger beer or to tone it back? It depends on the beer. It depends on the slot, right? So if we're making, a, if we're making like a seasonal beer that has to... We're going to move a lot of volume and it's going to go to grocery stores, then we, we're going to try and err on the side of not being too extreme in any one direction if we're making a sour beer that is called cherry there's going to be a hell of a lot of cherry in that beer and it's going to be a cherry bomb you know so it just depends on the project and uh what where it, what slot it's going to fill in, or, or as Jason and I know, peach. There's lots of peaches and peach. Yeah, there are that a few was, peaches. That was, yeah, that was one of my favorite experiences. So thank you again for for letting us peel the peaches. Yeah. Then there, from time to time, I mean, it really is the expression of you know, whoever's project that was. So um, a good example would be. You know, Preservado is a sour beer that we've made that's um, actually aged on Meyer lemons. Um, and we've got uh, quite a bit of salinity or saltiness uh, in that beer. And it's it's definitely on the extreme side of things. Uh, but that is how, that's our taste preferences. That's right. what we, we really like. So it, like Matt said, it really is dependent. And sometimes it's very much our own internal um, preferences. Sometimes we take a lot of feedback and we try to uh, make some tweaks if needed. Um, but uh, so, so sh- champagne, velvet, uh, dragonfly IPA, and peach give you guys a lot of freedom. I imagine uh, <laughs> you know, the uh, the staples. Did I miss one? Did I miss any of the, of the staples? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, like campside like, porter. Well, campside, yeah, but, but yeah. in terms of like volume, is, do you, does your porter oh. compete yeah, with a? Um, so our best-selling beers, uh, yeah, Dragonfly, and then Champagne Velvet, and then our Weed Ale, our Belgian Weed. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's I, don't, <laughs> I don't like wheat beers. Yeah, so yeah. I, don't, I don't think of it. I'm so sorry. Yeah, so that's a, a Belgian-style wit. Um, Campside's our Pale, and Bad Elmer's is our Porter. Yeah. And so those are, I mean, those are our highest-volume beers by, by a long shot. Um, and we're, we're, 
Um, they've been pretty. Um, we've not really made too many adjustments to those beers, honestly. Right. But we we're always improving uh, every step of the way. Like Matt was saying, um, tweaking our internal processes, and improving the shelf life, or um, you know, each year we get hop selection. We're actually in the process right now where uh, we're choosing hops that we harvested and we use next year. So we're making sure that the hops are. Um, up to our standards and uh, to the best that we can select. So that's a, that's a luxury kind of preserved for breweries about your size and above, right? Yeah, well, you have to have a certain volume of hops contracted to be able to select. So right. we only, we even at our size, we can only really select a couple sure. of varieties. By variety. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so like Cascade, Simcoe, Citra, some of these hop varieties that we use a lot of, we can, we can go and, and select uh, specific lots that we like. Sure. So uh, w- one more kind of like 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 logistics question. Uh, this is really more for me than the listeners, so I apologize. But like, I- I'm kind of curious. You, you guys have a couple locations. Uh, you're in Broderpool. You're 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 here. You have a couple locations in Bloomington. Did I miss any locations? Yes. So we have a small restaurant in Carmel. Sure. Um, and then a little bit larger restaurant, uh, the Pump House in Columbus, Indiana. Oh, in Columbus, Indiana. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's a really beautiful space. Uh, also has a really good uh, sized banquet space underneath. Uh, brought back a, a historical building that hadn't been used oh, it's nice. right on the river a really beautiful space um and really where we're brewing is here in Fountain right. square uh the bloomington brew pub original location and then the production brewery all the other locations are either tap rooms or uh restaurants restaurants yeah right, yeah, yeah restaurants. with amazing food by the way i think it's, it's, it's fantastic to see good beer and good food in one place it's rare um so we, in terms of like logistics are you guys uh like in-house moving beer from what from from, yeah. from here to there or do you guys outsource that yeah so you may have just seen ricky he was going in and out of that door over there uh he he's our delivery drive driver and he will move beer from the main brewery uh to all the different locations sweet so, yeah yeah that's awesome so we're gonna play a little game called tap on tap for those of you who are unfamiliar with the rules i'm gonna read three on tap reviews i'll give as much detail from the review as possible without revealing any of the answers uh, including what badges people may have earned and what they said, um, and the idea for you guys is to try to guess the style, the brewery, and the uh, and the name of the beer. Uh, so these are all Indiana breweries or Indianapolis uh, breweries. Uh, this is uh, it's Indianapolis is what I've chosen okay. for today okay. is, as it. the scope uh, okay. of our deal. And uh, yeah, it's obviously it's not an Upland beer. That's against the rules for me to, to have you guys because right, right. you guys read your own reviews. It'd be a che- pretty cheap game, right? Yeah. Uh, so what we'll do is uh, we will we'll start it up here with. Uh, my mouse is broken and I'm very bad at a touchpad so we're going to have a little fun here scrolling through these reviews Um, so uh, the the first one is from Mari M and she's drinking this beer um, at one of the locations where it's brewed so I I can't Uh tell you where it's being uh, consumed but she she gives it four bottle caps and and a thumbs up uh, she just had a taster. I, I kind of hope that she just ordered one, right? Like, why would you why would you do that? Just you know, say it's four stars, mm-hmm. thumbs up, and then not have a full pint. I don't know. Um, but maybe she was, you know, the designated driver. I don't know. But anyway, she says, nice paired with pork rinds. Um, so I don't know. Interesting. So the place serves pork rinds. Pork rinds. All right. How many? Uh, uh, this is, uh, this is uh, good. It, it maybe uh, if I would be drinking maybe a little more bitter beer or maybe a sour beer with yeah. pork rinds. If it's a, so four stars is a lot of stars. That's a pretty high rating. It, up for an average, anyways. So maybe it's a juicy IPA. Maybe it's a sour beer because usually you don't see regular beers going up into the fours. True, but that's the average. You can see a lot of individual ones. I, I you know what? We've never given the average, the untapped average, but I'll give that to you since, yeah, let's since do you it. mentioned it. We'll definitely get it if we have the average. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Rachel C uh, is is drinking it. Uh, she has it at a can. 
Um, All right. And it doesn't say where she purchased it. So she purchased a can of this beer, uh, which is a clue of itself. She gives it three and a half bottle caps. Three and a half bottle caps. And she says a great, and then in quotes, easy drinker uh, that still has lots of flavor. A great. Maybe it's. Uh, I'm thinking maybe it's a Daredevil Hellas or something. That's where I know? was going. Uh, some sort of Cans. Uh, canned. Although there's lots of. Or I don't canned know. We got breweries Central up State here. Has the. Uh, uh, it also has one uh, uh, mug, and I think that's equivalent to a like on Untapped. So okay. there's one mug on that check. Three and a half. Three and a half easy is the. Drinker. Is the this is the this is an okay beer rating. Three yeah. and a half is the line we're like, okay, yeah, this is okay. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I'm trying to think of other easy drinking beers, like Sun King Sunlight is a pretty easy drinking beer. So we can probably throw out our sour hypothesis earlier, yeah. unless it's a... I don't know if that's an easy drinking beer. All right, and then uh, th- uh, this review has the... Uh, uh, it has the name of the style in it, so I will I will Ooh. be changing the review okay. to to reflect to reflect not having that. Um, it was purchased at uh, Bossy Field. Bossy Field. I don't know where that is. Uh, I'm a native of this place. I don't I don't know. Evansville. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna click on it in just a second and give you more details because I think that, uh, that's important. Uh, but Joseph M is drinking it, uh, and he says my f- my first beer at my brew f- my first brew fest. So was oh. there apparently a brew fest at Bossy okay. Field. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, this is a, uh, a solid beer, uh, smooth and very drinkable, uh, uh-huh. light. And he earned the Riding Steady Level 56 badge. He just had a taster. I mean, Brewfest, that seems right. That is. Uh, he gave it four uh, four bottle caps. <clears throat> All right, I'm leaning towards lager. Easy drinker. Okay, so how specific do we have to be on style? I mean, I mean uh, I say, I'll say, say for this specific style, I would I would only take the actual style name. The actual style, yeah. For this for this oh, specific maybe style, maybe so it's like a pilsner, pilsner, um, uh, pilsner or blonde. Pilsner, pilsner would be blonde. A nice crisp pilsner would go well with pork rinds. Uh, I, I like when people I like when people win the game. So what I'm going to say is, <laughs> I think you might be helped by guessing the brewery first. Let's say that again. I think you might be helped by trying to guess the brewery guess first. The brewery first, uh, okay. All we know about yeah. the brewery is that they they, they can Easy and they had pork rinds at their location. Yeah, the uh, the, the untapped uh, overall bottle cap rating is three point six. Three point six. Okay, so that's pretty average. But but then you know certain styles don't go over a certain range. Right. Right. So Pilsner would be in that range. Pilsner is in that Pilsner range. Pilsner would be. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna tell you it's not it's not a Pilsner. That's a fantastic guess. That's why I'm gonna try uh, to help you. Okay. Uh, it's not a lager either. Is it a it's is a it a is it a blonde? It is. It is that color. Is it? A, is it a? Oh, it is that color. Okay. So, um, is it a sunlight cream ale? That's kind of where I was. That's where I my first. So, um, I, I think this might be. So, I, I feel really bad. We're gonna we're gonna go with sunlight cream ale as a good guess. I think that's a really reasonable guess based on all the clues. Uh, it's the first time ever we've had someone get zero points on the show. <laughs> um, but I think you guys played the game better than anyone else has ever played okay. the game. I feel like you talked more about the clues. You divined more. We tried. Uh, and you even mentioned the brewery, uh, but you didn't. Uh, Daredevil. Uh, stick with it. it's, it's a definitely a Daredevil. Oh. If I say Daredevil, do you guys know what it is? Is it a Hellas? We it's, said that. It's not a Hellas. Okay. I, I would have I given, given you credit for it. They, they, I had their Hellas the other day. It was just re- amazing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> yeah, it's their vacation Kolsch. Kolsch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, vacation okay. Kolsch. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So... Um, yeah, you guys, close, I, I feel close, really bad close, for giving you close. three I feel like at any point answers. in time we say the right answer, that should count. It shouldn't actually be like <laughs> so, a So Daredevil, you think I should give you one point for having su- yeah, suggested we Daredevil? We said the word. It came yeah. out of our mouth. Don't, don't underestimate how few beers other than our own we drink on a regular basis. <laughs> also, 
also, it's right I, there in front of you, and you don't have to go also, pay money I, for it. As I make a point of it often, this is a dumb game. This game is really <laughs> like like the point of this game is not to win the game. It's a, it's a stupidly ridiculous game. Uh, However, it is fun to talk about on tap reviews and beer in this way. So uh, let's launch right in from this dumb game to a fun segment where you guys ask me because Jason is not here. An off the wall question. What's the most awkward situation you've ever been in? Oh, that's that's a low, that's a that's a low <laughs> blow. It's your game. I don't even know. Like so, um, as I as I think about how I'm going to answer this question, I'll let you know that what I typically do. We could try to make this. Well, we could try to make it this situation. <laughs> what, what I try to typically do with awkward situations is purge them from my memory uh, uh. to protect my emotional uh, well-being as I consider my past. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so I have an answer, uh, and this is an authentic answer, and it is. Uh, it just it just hit me because the podcasting gods are happy, and this is this is good. <coughs> this is good for radio. I was in uh, seventh grade, and um, uh, for those of you, this is an audio. This is an audio podcast, so you might not know what I look like unless you go to our website, which is rare based on the traffic history of our website uh and you might have seen a picture of me so i am an overweight gentleman and when i was younger i was even more overweight uh so i had a, a little bit of trouble with the the ladies as the uh as the the custom of our current culture suggests happens for young uh heavy men uh, or boys at the time so in seventh grade i fancied a, a, a girl i also like british culture so i say things like fancied uh <laughs> I fancied a girl, and I, I let some of my friends know, and my, my friends were friends of her, and this is the way it goes, and they convinced me that it would be a good idea uh, to, to give this uh, individual, whose name was Kyle. Kyle was a female's name at the time. Uh, I, I actually, still, I think, I don't think she changed her name. Uh, I, haven't, uh, I haven't talked to Kyle in, in many, many years. We went to different high schools and whatever. Uh, so they convinced me to present her with roses in the cafeteria, but Kyle felt nothing for me, um, and she cried and gave them back to me, and this was a very awkward oh, situation. Awkward. I don't tell this story very often, so well oh. done on the off-the-wall question. Yeah, I'm satisfied. Yeah. I'm satisfied. That's good. Yeah, it was, uh, it was good. Uh, it ended up being really good, by the way, for a seventh-grade fat kid to get rejected publicly in the cafeteria. Get it out of the way soon. No, what you get got was... To. No, 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 no. It, 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 it played really well. Like, the sympathy backlash oh, was, yeah. was high. Oh, nice. Like, was high. Like, it was too excruciating for people to be like, oh, that happened to you. You <laughs> suck. No, they were just like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And then I had more friends after the fact. So I really... I hit it just right. Like, yeah, I think yeah. it could have gone the other way pretty easily, depending on the people I was around. Net uh, positive story. Net yeah. Positive. It, was, it, was, it was a net positive story. So, yeah, absolutely. That one, that has been uh, Matt's off the wall question, uh, Jason. I think you've You're been welcome. supplanted uh, <laughs> as the as the question asker. So hopefully, hopefully next time. Uh, so I, I think um, a lot of our audience, uh, we started as a homebrew podcast, are are, are home brewers, people who, who who brew their own beer, um, and, and a lot of them aspire uh, to to potentially enter the pro- the professional ranks. Can can you talk about like? Uh, what kind of advice you'd have for someone who wants to become more involved in beer and, and how to do that? Honestly, I wouldn't do it now. Sure. Um, it's crowded, man. It's yeah. like there's, there's, there's like 7,000 breweries in the country. Yeah. And really, what you would, what you would want to do is lower your expectations of what you are getting into. So you can't just walk in and do what I did and work your way up from packaging to being a brewer and just any, just anywhere. So, uh, if you really were wanted to brew, I would say actually getting an education at like UC Davis or something like that. And having that to come into a brewery and say, it's, it's so, it's so much harder to come in and just be like, I homebrew and have any chance of getting a, 
the you know actually the job that you're looking for right. in the brewery. Unless, unless I mean, I think the I, I've known a couple guys who are in a point in their life where they don't need cash. Uh, That's and, a great place to yeah, be, and yeah. so they can go in and take like a pittance to scrub floors and sanitize and maybe work up that way. But if you need yeah. money while you're doing it, I think it's really hard. Right. It is. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know we uh, when we were in the pretty high growth mode, hiring a lot of people when we expanded. You know, kind of when and Matt came and also when I came into the company. Um, we did have a, a lot of change, you know, a lot of upward movement, you know, brewing. We, we, we just needed, we needed, needed to brew more, so we needed more people trained to do it. Um, and we were very fortunate to be able to bring in some really talented brewers. Right. And so um, in addition to what Matt's saying, it's, it's very competitive. Um, you know, I think if uh, the beer culture, the craft beer culture, I think is strong. It's, it's a great industry to work in. Um, and it, although it is very competitive, um, there's still a lot of um, sharing, camaraderie, and learning together, um, and so it attracts a lot of really, really talented people. And so for us, we've, you know, we don't have a lot of open positions. You know, right. we, have, we have guys that stick around because, like you were saying earlier, um, you know, I think we at Upland we're, we're a pretty collaborative brewery. We've got a lot of different people that are involved in the, the designing and the making and the experimenting with beer. We don't just have one person that's kind of calling all the shots and doing all the, all the recipes. You know, we've kind of have a, a, a much more collaborative team. Um, I mean, it seems like a, it seems like at least based on my experience, you guys have like three head brewers, right? Yeah, I mean, for f- yeah, I mean, three brewers who who have like a vision and direction that they get to implement, even yeah, if they're I mean, not almost you know. almost you could say four or five. You know, right. we've got you know um, influence from um, you know our quality manager, myself. You know, although we're not you know physically brewing, but there's influence on how we craft the beer. Um, but it, like I said, it's a very collaborative uh, process. So. Um, it's hard to say one particular person has, you know, it's it's that one particular person's beer. Yeah, uh, it's hard any, for us to given, do that. Any given recipe, uh, we're we're talking through it as a team. Sure. So like yeah. maybe I'll brew a pilot thing, and then I'll be like, "What do you guys think of this? What should we change?" Mm-hmm. Or we will brainstorm together what what the next recipe needs to be, what you know, what fits best, I'm sure in that, what slot. That's the kind of. I mean, I imagine like smaller outfits are, are, are really sort of envious of the setup because I mean that, that's the, I, I think when when people who are like minded about quality and greatness get together it's really i'm sure an accelerator uh yeah, where that, you have more than absolutely one i mean i think that's where we've been able to have such big improvement in our beers over the last couple of years uh but also recognizing when you're a time when you're a small brewery you know you don't have you know five people that you can have you know it is one person doing it so i, I would for anyone that um you know one it's a very crowded industry uh to be a packaging brewery is sure. very challenging right now um what is growing is the tap room model, sure. or where you're just brewing and you're serving directly to people? Um, I think that's that's where all the growth is coming from, and nothing against that whatsoever. I mean, I think that's that, there's that's a what lot the of, world has room for. It, yeah, right? we don't that, have right. room for. There's only so much shelf on the liquor store, and it's just you know at a certain point it just gets cutthroat and it's not fun. Right. And yeah. but you know if you if your goal is to just open your own small brew pub, then. You know that could be a sustainable yeah, thing. Sure. That you're not you're not never going to make a lot of money, but you're going to be able to survive, and you're going to have a satisfying. Well, yeah. in my humble advice from having done about forty episodes and talking to home brewers and a couple professional brewers is, um, if you really like brewing and you want to make a lot of beer and you want to give that beer to other people and make them happy, and you think about like having a job as that, like people are like, oh, do you want to brew? And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want to be a brewer uh, for a job. That's seems really hard, and and and, and it, you know because the taproom model is nice, but I mean if you, if you want to to make a lot of money, you got you got to really hoof it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, like I said, ten years ago, I don't, you wouldn't be hearing that. Um, right. But just within the last five years, you know, we, we were talking about 
um, earlier too, like what beers we learned when we were homebrewing right. and, you know, what crazy, you know, 10 years ago, it wasn't that crazy stuff going on. Now it's not just the number of breweries, but the, the beer spectrum has completely yeah. changed. Well, I, I think it makes it less important to homebrew because the reason to homebrew <laughs> yeah. used to be like, oh, I want to have this random weird style. Now you yeah. can, you can find it by and large, <laughs> uh, which is great. But my, my goal I think is to, is to have a one barrel retirement homebrewery. Like nice. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I want the scale and I want the, the blah, blah, but no, I don't want to, I don't want to have to work. I don't want to have to like <laughs> make beer for customers that pay me. That seems hard. <laughs> but there's something certainly more satisfying, um, about having that customer contact. Like sure. you have a brew pub and you are, you are pouring the, your beer for people. Yeah. That's something that we don't get to do. We go to the production facility and put in our day brewing and go home and, you know, contact with customers is few and far between actually on a regular basis we could go to the bar and hang out or we could go to beer festivals and things like that but if you if you own a brew pub then that's your day-to-day right you you get that connection with people that i think would, would be more satisfying Do you ever spend time how, how often would you say you get to spend time behind the bar um it is it is very rare i do a lot of other things and sure. so yeah, I mean, um, yeah. you gotta make yeah, that beer that kombucha yeah, I mean, there's there's <laughs> yeah. a handful of brew, brew crew though that you know after work at the brewery you know where we're making most of the production they're there um, so that's that was one thing that you know when we were a, a single brew pub when we first opened brewing everything was all everybody was in one spot now right. we're a little bit uh, spread out um, so it does get more challenging but like Matt was saying you know uh, we still get out to our locations we still get out to festivals which is a huge way to connect and get feedback um, and that is very reward I mean it's re- that's really rewarding that's right. what you know talking to folks and and getting the feedback or just you know people. Uh, enjoying enjoying your beer. That's that's what it is. It's, we're we're creating experiences. Like we're right. creating a really great uh, drinking experience for folks. So that's uh, really motivating. Yeah, and then you also have the option for folks who don't want to be uh, as inebriated to uh, drink some pretty <laughs> artfully crafted kombucha. Absolutely. So it's a yeah. nice balance. Yeah. There you go. That's good stuff. Well, I want to thank you guys, uh, uh, Pete and Matt, for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for doing the third episode. This is uh, unprecedented and incredibly delightful. Uh, it's very generous. So thank you for spending the time with us uh, to to do this. Um, we uh, encourage all of our listeners to, if you're in any indie area or if you pass through the indie area, to stop in. Especially, uh, we're going to drop this episode in a couple days. Uh, so if you can uh, stop in while they still have that Galaxy Kombucha on tap, you should probably definitely do that. I hear it's uh, it's running out fast. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, a lot of the amazing other beers. I think we uh, we didn't have too much time to talk about the, the Switchback series, uh, which is the, the beer you can get. Basically, it's brewed here at this brewed brew on house. Site. Right, 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 right. Uh, the current Switchback is a, a New England IPA, or West Coast IPA, uh, East, damn it, East Coast IPA <laughs> called... Uh, the party, party hammer. hammer. The party hammer. So uh, get yourself some party hammers. Support the folks at Upland. They do, they do amazing work. Uh, and it's good beer. Thanks again, guys, for coming on the show. Thank, Thank you. you. If you want to reach out to us, uh, you can email us uh, or at Plato's Gravity, or sorry, at podcast at Plato's Gravity.com. You can reach us on Twitter uh, or Instagram at Plato's Gravity. Uh, check the show notes for some details to some fun facts we talked about on the show. We will see you next time. In the meantime, uh, drink some fermented tea, brew some beer, and have some fun. 